I'm going to ask you this morning to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And I want to say uh, something I forgot to say at the very beginning. uh, And that is simply that I I don't want to overlook the fact that we have uh, people watching us online as normal. and, And I want to welcome you as well. And those of you who are guests this morning that may not have visited Gateway before, Uh, We actually have a welcome station over here that we're trying to get up and running. And right now we have some guest cards there, and that's about it. Uh, But uh, you are welcome to to go by and take one of those. We'd love to have a record of your visit this morning, and uh, we'll uh, have that system up and running a little bit later. Uh, But we're so glad that you are are visiting with us this morning. I've been preaching through uh, Revelation, as has been mentioned a couple of different times this morning. And I think as we go through our next few weeks of getting our feet on the ground in this new location, I wanted to take a break from that and sort of focus our attention in some different directions. And I'm planning to work through part of Galatians 5, starting with this single verse in verse 13 that marks the beginning of Paul's application of the theology of the letter. You notice when Paul writes a letter, sometimes he gets really wound up in the theology in the first part of the letter, and then he says, okay, here's what this all means for us. And really, verse 13 is where he begins in earnest to do that. And so this morning, let's focus most of our attention on the single verse, Galatians 5, verse 13. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, Serve one another. There's a word that appears here, you'll see, two times in the verse. It should stand out. And we hear this word, it ought to sound like wonderful music in our ears. It's the word freedom, liberation, release from bondage, or political tyranny. But I'm convinced that growing up in a country like the United States, we don't really understand emotionally, most of us, what it actually means to be free. I mean, this seems ironic because we live in a country that's literally referred to as the land of the free. But freedom is like a sweet delicacy that we don't really enjoy the taste of if we have it all the time. Some of you have lived in a country, perhaps, where there is far less freedom, less religious freedom, less political freedom less economic freedom than there is in the U.S. And you appreciate maybe more than some Americans coming to this country what freedom actually means. But none of us perhaps really understands freedom like someone who has been liberated from imprisonment and persecution and certain death. Read the testimonies of Jews who survived the Nazi death camps. Listen to the stories about the day they were released and finally set free. I don't need to rehearse for anyone here the unspeakable horrors that the Jews suffered in those camps as prisoners, their only hope of escape being through the smokestacks of the gas chambers. But when the Nazi power was broken and the regime fell, one by one, British and American soldiers came with their forces to free the Jews from these camps. Here's what one Jewish captive wrote, one random Jewish captive who has this testimony. Sunday, May 6, 1945. There's a lot of testimonies and they're almost inevitably a date in the month of May in 1945. He says, my day of liberation. 
a day that will always live with me, a day forever etched in my memory. He says, I was not awakened by the cruel yelling of the guards that morning. My body did not receive any blows. I did not have to take part in roll call. The sky was blue and everything was strangely quiet. The guards were gone from the observation towers. I left block number six and made my way toward the main gate. I crossed the dreaded roll call square where a few people were milling around. The eerie silence of the square, normally punctuated by the cursing and shouting of the guards, seemed unnatural. The camp was still surrounded by barbed wire, but something was entirely difficult, uh, different. He says, I, I was unable to fully comprehend the enormity of this Sunday morning. My body was weakened and my mind unable to respond. I felt very weak as I approached the main gate, but I could still walk. People gathered around the gate, but suddenly my eyes registered an unbelievable sight. A tank moved slowly up the road with a large white star. Some distance behind it, I saw another tank. The gate opened as the figure of an American soldier emerged from the tank. Dozens of hollow, scrawny figures emerged from the gate and swept the soldier off his feet. But I was overwhelmed by the events around me and stood in silence, watching the crowds of emaciated humans surrounding the American. They kissed his hands and touched his uniform as if touching a saint. Each of us wanted to make sure that the man was real, that the tank was real, that this was neither an illusion nor a dream created by our anxious minds. At that moment, I finally became a free man. For the first time in six years, he says, I was free. This is a remarkable testimony of something that gives us insight into the mind of someone who really understands the difference between bondage and freedom, between captivity and liberation. This kind of testimony helps us understand on an emotional level what freedom really means. But of course, as believers in Christ, our release from bondage, our freedom from sin is actually more profound than any release from human activity. Or I should say human captivity. Because our bondage was absolute and it was for eternity. Passages such as Romans 3 and Ephesians 2 describe how we were held by sin, how we were unable to escape the guilt of sin and the everlasting judgment that will come upon us because of sin. Romans 6 speaks of the fact that before we were saved, we were the slaves of sin. This is our fallen human condition, and it is the condition that Jesus came to rescue us from. He came to release us from sin's captivity and give us new life of freedom and liberty. And I want to tell you this morning, this freedom is one of the most essential doctrines of our new life in Christ. In fact, so important is our understanding of the reality of this freedom that when it comes under attack in the Galatian churches. Paul writes an entire letter to defend it. But not only is this freedom an essential doctrine, an essential teaching for the church, it, it also is an understanding for us of the freedom in Christ that helps us to realize how to live with one another in the church. Freedom has amazing implications for us. And so as we celebrate this significant milestone in the life of Gateway and 
over the next few weeks, this doctrine of our freedom in Christ teaches us what we're doing here and what our responsibility is as a body of believers. This morning, I want to unpack this single verse because here in Galatians 5.13, we can identify three aspects of spiritual freedom that teach us how we are supposed to live with one another in the church. So what are these aspects of spiritual freedom? Well, first of all, we see the call of spiritual freedom because he says, for you are called to freedom, brothers. And of course, when he says brothers, he's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who are believers, who have accepted God's gift of salvation. Notice the word called there in the text. Paul commonly talks about our salvation as as, as a calling from God. But in this verse, he explains what we were called unto, notice. In other words, he wants to talk about the nature of the salvation that God has given to us, what our salvation looks like. You know, a lot of people think of their occupations as a calling. It's what they were born to do. And every occupation has this unique set of duties, right? And expectations that come with the job. There's also a vibe to each kind of occupation. You know what I mean? There's just something about tech people that that spend their lives doing techie stuff, okay, computer stuff. And they get together and and they're talking, you know, and and you you, kind of try to jump into the conversation, but then you realize you're not connecting with them and they're just kind of being polite to you, you know, and you don't want to make any suggestions. Uh, That's the way it is. Law enforcement, when they get together, or firemen, or military or teachers, or health professionals. We can name a bunch of examples. Even, even people who do hobbies for a living or, or something essential for a living. I was listening to uh, uh, two men, Dan and Barry, there yesterday. They didn't know I was eavesdropping on their conversation, but they got to talking about hunting. And I'll tell you, that conversation could have gone on for a long time. And uh, I had no idea what they, were, what they were talking about. But these people of the same calling, they often hit it off because they all know by experience and pressures, exactly what it means to fulfill their calling, their occupation, and that relationship they have with, you, with each other is unique. And if you're not one of them, you don't feel like you connect on that level. That's what Paul is talking about here. In a way, he's saying there's a certain vibe that comes with our salvation that makes it different, frankly, than any other religious experience ever devised by humankind. What characterizes our calling? It is a call to freedom. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, I mentioned already the fact that when we come to Christ for salvation, we are freed from guilt and sin and penalty of eternal death and so forth. And we know that and praise God for that. And Paul could have talked about freedom from those things right here in the text. And he does in other contexts. But here, Paul is actually talking about something else very specific, something very surprising that was being used to enslave people in their sin and hold them captive even though they had already confessed faith in Christ. It was something that false teachers were using as they came into the Galatian churches to imprison the churches. And talking about the righteousness of the Jewish law is what they were using to imprison them. They were using the law to tell people they were still bound 
before they could have faith and express it in Christ. In fact, as many of you know, Paul writes this entire letter in order to tell people not to make themselves slaves to the Old Testament law because they now have freedom in Christ. They have been released from obeying the law. They're in a different kingdom now, and this kingdom operates differently than that. Now, you might think, you know, this doesn't make any sense because didn't God give the Jews the law and ask them to follow it? And, and, and show their loyalty to him through following the law? Yes, but there was a problem with the law in the Old Testament. And the problem wasn't with God. The problem was with the people who were trying to keep the law. They couldn't do it. We couldn't have either. They couldn't keep it perfectly. And so the law failed. It failed in the end to bring people into a state of righteousness with God. So all by itself, the law only shows us how sinful we are and how much we need somebody to rescue us. Listen to what Paul says about the law in a couple of of chapters earlier, just a few verses I'm, I'm, I'm pulling up here. In Galatians 3, 10 through 13, he says, for all who rely on works of the law. That means keeping the good things that God gave them to do. He says, now in Christ, those who are trying to go back and rely on those works are actually under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. If you're going to keep the law, you've got to keep the whole thing. It's, it's, like, it's like a fragile glass. You can't just uh, break a part of it and say most of the glass is okay. Once you break a part of it, it's unusable anymore. In other words, if you're going to try to obey this law, you have to obey the whole thing or you're cursed. You can't break one single commandment one time. Therefore, down in verse 13, he says, Christ redeemed us. He rescued us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He died on the cross for our sins so that when we place our faith in him, we are forgiven of anything we have done to break God's holy, righteous commandments. So Paul continues down in verse 23 of this chapter. Now before faith came, that's faith in Jesus Christ, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would reveal until the coming faith in the death and resurrection of Christ is revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified, that's justified in the sight of God, by faith, not by keeping legal code. Not by working every day to obey the limits of the law and to follow every ordinance and statute to the letter. Not by that, because it ultimately fails. I'll never be able to do it perfectly. But now, verse 25 that faith in Christ has come. We are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith, under the legalities of the Old Testament, which anticipated the coming of Christ. As one of God's chosen people, you showed your faith in God by trying as hard as you could to keep the law and become a righteous person. And and it's not like that was all there was to it. People fellowship with God. We read the testimony of David and others in the Old Testament. They loved God and God loved them. There was a a relationship there. But it was under the Old Covenant. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, after Christ died, we are declared to be righteous simply through faith in Christ. That is why Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore no longer any condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
That's why it's confusing for someone to tell a Christian that he or she needs to get right with God. I know we hear that sometimes in, in our uh, religious services, not here necessarily, but you have to get right with God. Our rightness with God was what was settled at the cross. That was the point of it. And so we don't have to earn something that God has already given to us in Jesus Christ. The law can no longer condemn me because I'm free from it. I'm released from its prison. So if you go back to Galatians 5 and look at the very first verse, Paul launches this whole discussion, which eventually ends up being practical starting in verse 13, with this verse, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Do you see that? Why did Christ die for us and set us free from sin, free from guilt, free from eternal punishment, free from the grip of Satan? He says it was for freedom. It's our new vibe. He freed us to be free. So he says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery is the law. It's living under a system of codes and regulations that threaten to condemn me if I don't toe the line, if I don't follow perfectly. And in Galatians, Paul is pleading with them, don't return to trying to live under the law because Christ died to rescue us from that very imprisonment of slavery, slavery to 613 different mitzvot or commandments that regulated every aspect of their lives. It didn't just regulate their religious life. It, religi- it re- regulated what they could eat, what they could wear or not wear, how they c- had to manage their farms, how to manage their fields, how to manage various relationships. You'll do this and you won't do that, or you uh, won't do this and you will do that. And now we are free from the law because of Jesus Christ. Now, this is where a lot of people studying the law, start to get a little nervous, frankly. I mean, you're saying we don't have to obey God anymore? I'm just going to do whatever I want now that I'm in Christ, now that I'm saved and everything will be okay? Of course we need to obey God. I mean, what does Romans 12, 2 say? We need to know the perfect will of God. There's no change in that kind of living, but we don't live out God's perfect will by finding a long list of legal code and checking them off and living like that. That's what they did in the Old Testament in essence. Instead, we listen to God's word and we follow the leading of the Spirit and we make choices out of an obedience to God as the Holy Spirit leads us. That's why Paul says down in verse 16 of the same chapter that we have to walk in the Spirit. We'll come to that verse next Lord's Day, Lord willing. But this is a very freeing way to live. A freeing way to live. Because we don't have to wonder all the time, did I, did I do everything right? Did I check off all the boxes? Did I, did I break some detail? So I want to go deeper into this difference between living under the law and walking in the Spirit. We want to be a church that walks in the Spirit. Because it's essential for every believer to understand this dynamic. That's why I'm going to cover that topic more next Lord's Day as we continue further into the chapter. For now, however, this morning, I just want you to understand that we are free to rise every morning and desire to follow God and seek Him and study how to love Him and serve Him each day without a list of rules and regulations. Things we do, standards we have, but not because I'm following legal code. 
you have to understand this if you're going to appreciate the next two aspects of spiritual freedom. So going back to our outline, we see that the call to spiritual freedom is, is an aspect. You're called to freedom, brothers. Secondly, I want you to consider the danger of spiritual freedom. There's a danger to it. Salvation is so free that there's a misstep that's a danger. And Paul had to address this in Romans chapter 6. The reason he said, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Means that if you share the gospel correctly, people are going to get that idea. And it comes up here in one way. The danger of spiritual freedom is from the second part of the verse. You have been called to freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do you know that you can use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh? That's the danger. What does that mean to use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh? Well, to give to the flesh an opportunity is in this context to give it an opportunity to commit sin, to disobey God, to give into the temptation of doing things that do not please God, but pleasing yourself instead. And if you are truly a believer in Christ, if you haven't just talked yourself into the idea that you're a genuine follower of Christ and you turn against the Lord by choosing to obey your desires rather than following him, then you are doing so by taking advantage of the freedom Christ has given to you. We don't want to take advantage of this freedom and say, hey, I can do anything I want. Let's go sin. We don't, we don't say that to ourselves, but we justify things and we think it's okay. Paul's warning us about this because you know you're a believer. You know your eternity is secure in Christ. And guess what? It is. This wouldn't be an issue if God was still hanging something over our heads. He's not. We're free. We're saved. And that's why there is a danger. It it, it comes up because of how free the gospel is. I should rush to add, if choosing to sin is a pattern in your life and you feel no remorse or no conviction about that, you don't have any reason to think you're a Christian in the first place. Now, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I don't know. God's the only heart knower. But but from the New Testament, I can at least say you don't have a reason at that point to believe you're a, a Christian if there is continued sin, because there's no evidence, there's no fruit. But Paul is pleading with Christians here who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They've truly put their faith in the death of Christ for their sins and his glorious resurrection, and they're no longer any condemnation, under any condemnation. They're no longer bound by the law, and yet they take advantage of that freedom, turning their liberty into license. Let me put it to you this way. Do you know that because of the work of Christ that set you free from the yoke of bondage of the law, that you can choose to be grumpy some days and not rejoice in the Lord? You're actually sinning when you do that, but you can choose to do that. Do you realize that you can choose to worry over a problem or be discontent rather than trust the Lord? Do you know that as a Christian who has freedom in Christ, you can lose your patience with people and even be mean to someone and you are not going to be condemned to eternal judgment because you're a child of God? Do you realize that you can be arrogant or unkind or envy someone? That you can choose to entertain impure thoughts or commit an immoral act, or worship an idol, in other words, something that you love more than loving God? Do you know that you can have 
unrighteous anger against someone because of what he or she did to you. You're like, okay, enough, enough, enough examples. Do you know that you can refuse to forgive someone? That you can choose to lie or cheat or gossip? Do you know that no one is forcing you to meditate on the scriptures today or to pray? Do you realize that you can be a Christian young person who is still under your parents' authority and yet not honor that authority? We can choose to do any of these things and much more because we know we're secure in Christ. He saved us from sin and we're bought with a price and we're now free. Now, as I said, true believers do not go around committing these sins with with no implications as if it doesn't matter because after all, that's what Christ has saved us from. He saved us from the penalty of sin and also the power of sin. But Christians have the freedom to choose to sin if they want to use their freedom in that way. And it is really an insidious thing, a horrible thing. Because think about the ways we just learned over the past few weeks in our study of Revelation 13 about how Satan takes every good thing that God has and he twists it, he mimics it, and makes it something terrible for his own glory. Well, that's exactly what we're doing. When we are bought with the blood of Christ that sets us free, but we turn around to use that freedom not to honor Christ, but to debase him to treat our freedom as little account. Do you remember the illustration Jesus used in Matthew 18 about the man who owned the king something like $3.5 billion in today's currency? I'm not trumping up that number just to make it sound sensational. Uh, It's 10,000 talents, and a talent in today's economy would be a couple hundred thousand dollars. And because he couldn't pay, he was going to have to be put in debtor's prison. He was going to have to be bound until the debt was forgiven. But he, he cries out for mercy and the king forgives him the whole debt. But you remember what happens. He goes and finds this guy who owed him about $6,000. And he puts his hands around the guy's neck and he shakes him and he says, you give me what you owe. And the guy says, have mercy, I, I'll pay you. I, I, can't, I don't have it right now. And he wouldn't listen to him and he went and threw him into prison and enslaved that guy. And we hear that story and we are rightfully incensed. I mean, how could the guy do that? I would never do something like that. I mean, how would he do that? Think think about the enormous debt that he had just been forgiven. How dare he? Jesus wants us to have that reaction because we're the guy who was forgiven the enormous debt. He was forgiven of his debt and given freedom because of the king's forgiveness and he used the freedom to degrade someone. We do the same thing when we use this freedom we have through Christ, the freedom from the condemnation of the law to choose to dishonor God rather than serve God. When we use our freedom as an opportunity to indulge our flesh, to take advantage of God's goodness. And Paul warns us, don't do this. We're perverting the freedom we have in Christ. We are liberated Christians, but we're acting like licensed Christians. Is there an alternative? to this kind of behavior. Yes, there is. It's actually the third aspect of spiritual freedom, and it's the challenge of spiritual freedom. Because Paul continues, do not use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's the challenge. Don't use your freedom to dishonor God and feed the flesh. Instead, use your freedom to... What would we expect here? You know, just taking that verse in its con- uh, to sort of out of its context and reading it, You might expect him to say, 
but through love, serve God. Get holy. Pursue godliness. And those ideas are all true, and and Paul talks about those in, in particular places, but his focus here is on the body of Christ. He uses the term one another. All of his one another passages have to do specifically with how we treat each other in the body of Christ. That's where Paul goes when he talks about freedom. He goes to the body. He's concerned about how we treat one another in the church. In fact, at this point, Paul even has a bit of fun with the opposition. He has a bit of fun with those who are saying that Galatians still needed to follow the Mosaic law as part of their faith. Because it says in verses 14 and 15, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, those of you who insist on following the Mosaic law, remember what Jesus himself said, the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. If you love one another, you're actually fulfilling the law. But, he says, if you bite and devour one another like some of you are doing, which is surprising because you want everybody to live by the law, and that's not what the law says to do, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I don't want you to miss the irony of verse 13. Paul says, you were called to freedom. But do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. That word serve is really the word to be a slave. A slave. Do you see how he's playing on these contrary ideas between freedom and slavery? We could summarize the verse this way. Christ died to set you free from bondage so that you could exercise that freedom by making yourself a slave, as it were, to the needs of others in the body of Christ out of sheer love for them. That's an amazing truth. In other words, you live out your freedom by making yourself a loving servant, not only to God, we get that, but also to one another. So here we are, a congregation settling in a new location. We talk about the opportunities that are ahead of us to reach our community. But do you know why we can talk like this in the first place? We can talk like this in the first place because Christ died to make us free. We have choices. In fact, the phrase we use to identify our denomination, if the subject ever comes up, is what? Independent Baptist. It's right there in the name. We have no ecclesiastical oversight except for our own governance for one another through the leading of the Spirit as we endeavor to obey the Scripture. So what do we do with all this freedom? Paul points to a body of believers in the Galatian region of Asia Minor and turns their freedom back onto one another and challenges them to serve. In practical terms, one thing that means uh, is jumping in and helping when the church is on the move and when we need to get things accomplished. And we saw a great picture of that yesterday. It was just thrilling and just overwhelming to see all that. But also using our freedom to serve one another means getting to know one another and understanding each other, paying attention to needs, loving one another, praying for one another, finding ways to minister to one another. So we can take our liberty and our freedom and use it for our own ends, our own advancement, or 
We can ask ourselves this morning, how can I, as a family member of Gateway Baptist, reach out more to individual people in the body in ways that meets their needs? You say, well, I, you know, our focus is on the community, but you have to have a loving body where the gospel is proclaimed in order to have any good effect on the community. In fact, the fact that we love one another is the evidence that God rescues us and unites us with himself. There is a wonderful little passage in, of all things, Laura Ingle Wilder's little volume, Little Town on the Prairie. I think there's seven books in all, and I, I'm sure we read them all a, a bunches of times when we were kids. But there's this, this, this uh, chapter in this book, Little Town, where the whole town is gathered on the 4th of July to celebrate Independence Day as best they could because nobody had a lot of money. I think the highlight was that somebody had actually made some lemonade that everybody got to taste a little bit of. And they didn't have a lot of supplies for the celebration, but they did the best they could. And one of the events was reading the Declaration of Independence. Laura Ingle Wilder said, of course, we already had the Declaration of Independence memorized, but it sounded like, you know, seemed like a really honorable thing to stand still and listen to the Declaration of Independence being read. That, that the founding fathers wrote to declare our freedom from the tyranny of England. And when they finished Hearing the Declaration of Independence read, Laura Ingalls reflecting on what went through her mind as a little girl. She said, no one cheered. She said it was more like a moment to say amen, but no one quite knew what to do. Then Pa began to sing. All at once, everyone was singing. My country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might. Great God, our King. She writes, The crowd was scattering away, but Laura stood stock still. Suddenly, she had a completely new thought. The Declaration of Independence and the song came together in her mind, and she thought, God is America's King. She thought, Americans won't obey the King of England. They won't obey any king on earth. Americans are free. No king bosses Pa. He has to boss himself. Why, she thought, when I'm a little older, Pa and Ma will stop telling me what to do. And there isn't anyone else who has the right to give me orders. I will have to make myself be good. Her whole mind seemed to be lighted up by that thought. This is what it means to be free. It means you have to be good on your own. And putting this back into the arena of the church, the freedom that Christ provided for us is given not so that we can choose to do whatever we want, but so that we can choose on our own in obedience to the word and to the leading of the spirit to follow the Lord's will. And the Lord knows that his church will flourish when its members are loving and serving one another. We can point to no greater example, of course, than Jesus himself. If anyone could claim to be free... It was Jesus Christ to make his own decisions. He's the creator of the world. Yet he laid aside his freedom to go and do and say not whatever he wanted, but what the Father wanted him to do and to say. And he came to, to serve us. John's gospel in particular makes this really explicit. Jesus keeps insisting, I'm not speaking of myself. I'm not doing what I want to do. It, it's what the Father is telling me. That's what I'm speaking and that's what I'm doing. And in Philippians 2, Paul says, he took upon himself the form of a slave. 
Really the same word that we see in our text here in Galatians, 3, uh, uh, Galatians 5.13. And as a slave, serving not only the Father, but serving us, willing to die even the death on a cross so that he could release us from bondage and free us to follow his example. This is truly a pivotal verse for the Lord's church. The declaration of our freedom is in this verse. And it is at the same time a command to love and serve one another. And my prayer for Gateway, and I'd like you to pray this with me, is that God will help us honor the freedom we have in Christ by exercising that freedom in the lives of one another for God's glory. And let's ask him that he will do that for us. Father, we're...